welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, your weekly glimpse into the life of indie author Paul Teague. Find out how many words got written over the past seven days, hear what's on the planning board, and discover the tips and tools which Paul is using to self-publish his books and get them selling as fast as possible. This is Paul's Podcast Diary, and here's your show host, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, episode 177, for Saturday the 2nd of November 2019. Coming up this week, NaNoWriMo has begun. I'll let you know my day one word count. I'll be revealing the number of books I sold in October and September as part of my rapid release schedule. And I have book bum news, this time for one of my sci-fi books. But first, on the first day of NaNoWriMo, so I'm recording this on Friday the 1st of November, I've written my first 5,197 words of Truth Be Told. And you'll be pleased to hear that this week, having started the podcast and within a minute of starting recording, I got the name of the book wrong, even though I've been working on it this week. And I've written down the title, Truth Be Told, to, to try and get it right throughout the whole podcast today. Now, I discovered in the week, I was doing the draft listing for the box set for the Walk and Bay trilogy. And would you believe, I, I got the graphic, the box set graphic done for it ages ago. I was looking at the box set graphic and thinking something doesn't look quite right there. And would you believe when I paid for the box set graphic, I still got that blooming book title wrong. I've got a graphic there that says truth without instead of truth be told. So my, my book graphic was wrong. I had to go back to the lady on Fiverr and I, I didn't um, make a change as a revision. I just, um, it was my fault. So I just paid for the job all over again. And I now have the correct version of the box set, which has book three as truth be told. So there's a punishment for me. Learn the titles of your books, Paul. Otherwise, you have to pay twice over on Fiverr.com. So, yeah, I've started NaNoWriMo. I, it really, it's not really exciting, but I'm really just doing it for the sake of it. But I recorded my words in the website today. Uh, I'm more pleased to tell you that that's another 5,197 words done. If you remember, I told you that I shifted a writing day last week. It's quite nice having a weekend last week, to be honest with you. It did, in terms of refreshing me, it was uh, it was really well timed. I had a very pleasant weekend doing miscellaneous jobs, which I always like to do, um, and so I was kind of fresh to it today. I wrote my five thousand one hundred ninety-seven words. I've just finished that in the past hour, and so I'm a third of the way through that book already. We're already at well over twenty-five thousand words. I looked at the word count. It's about when it says it says twenty-eight thousand. It's at least twenty-seven and a half, I would say, because uh, that twenty-eight thousand includes my little notes for each chapter, telling me what I'm going to be writing on that day. So this week, today's Friday, I was away yesterday, couldn't write yesterday on Thursday. Uh, we were having our jolly in Newcastle. A uh, couple of things just to mention about that. If you ever get the chance to see orchestral manoeuvres in the dark live, this is obviously if you like them, if you hate them, don't go and see them. But if you like them and you like the music, they were blooming brilliant. I'd rate them as one of the best concerts I've ever seen. Um, they were really, really, really good. It was an excellent performance. And we were ever so lucky because we were we were at the Sage in in Gateshead in in Newcastle, which is a lovely kind of performance centre. I've never been in there before. I've known on it and passed it many times, but never been in there. And um, we were just waiting before the show started. We got tickets. And we were way, way at the back. I, mean, I just bought the cheap tickets so that we could go. And we were way at the back on the th third th floor. But it was like, oh, well, <laughs> that's miles off, isn't it? It's miles off. And then um, we, we'd gone in a little bit too early. We'd seen our seats at the top there. And so we decided to just go for a little wander around. And we, we were chatting outside the main door. And a uh, chap came up to us. He said, oh, I'm, I'm not a ticket tout. But he said, um, have you got tickets for tonight? He said, yes, we've got tickets. He said, where are they? And we told him that we were in the heavens. And he said, well, look, I, I got these tickets for free, some promotional competition. And um, the friends who are going to use them haven't come. And they're right at the front. Would you like to take them? So, you know, when you look at somebody and you think, is this a con? Is he about to, you know, club me and take my wallet or something? I mean, he's a perfectly nice gentleman. But um, we said, all right, then, you know, we looked at the tickets. There were proper tickets and everything. You could see they were official tickets. And so we took them and we were about, it was perfect, actually, because we, I don't like to be right up the front because you crack your neck. But we were just a couple of rows from the front and we had brilliant positioning in the end. So um, it was just excellent concert, I, honestly. Absolutely excellent. I mean, I would actually say they've improved with age. Um, you know, I remember them obviously in the eighties when they were they were young and probably you know anxious and quite artsy. Nowadays, they're just a couple of a sixty-year-old blokes, sixty Andy McCluskey is, uh, leaping around the stage like that. You know, doing really well. 
And I think they're just having fun. I think they probably appreciate it this time around. Um, you know, more now they're older. And they're a lot more relaxed with it, having an awful lot of fun. So, yeah, if you get the chance to see them, go and see them. Obviously, so long as you like the music. Um, so we also went to see Terminator uh, at the cinema in Newcastle as well. Uh, love the Terminator films. I mean, it was just more of the same, really. Uh, you know, same sort of arc. But Arnie had some, had two brilliant lines in it. I think the whole film was, you know, Arnie had just two lovely lines. And I won't spoil it for you if you haven't seen it yet. But, um, you know, it's just staple fare. There's nothing particularly, you know, clever or profound about it. It's just twisting the same old story again. But it's really the characters, I think, you come back for. Great to see the original um, Sarah Connor. I, don't feel, I didn't really feel they made the most out of her because she was really kick-ass in the first film. She was brilliant, Sarah Connor. And I felt um, she was a little bit more sort of comedic, stroke lightweight um, in, in this film. But as I say, Arnie got a couple of really beautiful lines in there. So uh, see if you could spot them if you do go and see the Terminator film, if you do like that uh, franchise. So yeah, back to the writing. That's just fun stuff. Uh, back to the writing. I will, as a punishment for having gone and had fun on Thursday, I will have to write after Park Run on Saturday and I'll be writing on Sunday, which is a normal writing day. But that will give me my first 15,000 words of NaNoWriMo. Um, and as I say, you know, NaNoWriMo, don't really care that much about it. It's just a little bit of fun and I'll get the badges. I'll get, you know, the badge at the end that says I've completed it. And it just happens to time beautifully with the book this week. So what else have I been up to this week? Well, I have been editing. We're in this bizarre situation where I'm writing Truth Be Told. I'm editing Truth Be Told. So I'm, I've written up to 25,000 words tonight. And after I've finished and processed this recording, I will be doing the next three chapters of Truth Be Told, which will bring me up to first draft edit of 20,000 words. So I'm only 5,000 words ahead of myself. So when I've written this weekend... Next week on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday, I will be editing that work. And so on Wednesday next week, on the 6th of November, I will be bang up to date. I will have first draft edited everything that I've written. And I need to do that to make sure that this book is ready to release on time or to send to Judy Corner on time. So um, uh, it's I'm, I'm fairly accurate when I write. It was interesting when I had Bill Cocos going over. Now you see her because you know, Bill also said the same thing. I, I'm fairly fairly tight when I write first time round. I obviously have to do little tweaks, little fact changes, things like that, better choices of words. I repeat words. So I do all those basic things, but the story is pretty tight. I'm not making any substantial changes uh, with this first sort of edit, this first pass. It's it's kind of all going to plan. It does help uh, planning things, incidentally. Um, and um, I think it's this week's episode. Uh, I can't tell you. I know I've, this is the third week I've said it. But this um, Six Figure Authors podcast that I keep raving about, i got to tell you that um, it's only about, is it episode 10, 11, something like that? It has quickly become, I think, the best, most useful podcast um, that I listen to. It's absolutely bang on for tips, um, you know, practical tips from people who are walking the walk, but not... Not the sort of stuff where, you know, they they sneezed and they made a million pounds because their hands ran across the keyboard. They accidentally published gobbledygook and now they're millionaires. You know, it's not it's not like that at all. They've all they're all six figure authors. They're all doing well. But my goodness, that web that uh, podcast is absolutely wall to wall kind of information and tips. Absolutely brilliant wherever you are in your author journey. So please, please, please. You know, I know I, I, this is highly recommended. Three weeks in a row is exceptional. Please listen to Lindsay Baroka's Six Figure Authors podcast. Uh, some great, great content on there. And I just, to me, I just need to keep going back through them and making notes. There's so much gold dust in them. So uh, Circle of Lies, which is Walker Bay, uh, Bay, the Walker Bay Trilogy, book two, that went to Judy Corner last weekend. So I finished my edit on that now. Judy will get that back to me on the 14th of November. So it'll come back to me just after we're back from Berlin. So we've got a nice little uh, break in Berlin shortly, which will be very pleasant. And that book needs to be ready to be released on Monday, the 6th of December. So um, if you remember, uh, Left for Dead is going to go on the, when is it? The 11th of November. So we're, we're getting there now. Uh, Monday's rapid re-release book is my female protagonist box set. So that goes on Monday. That's already to go. And then we've got another release um, and, and we start to release at 28 day intervals from the 11th of November, that's Left for Dead. So we go 11th of November, Left for Dead. We've got uh, Circle of Lies, which will go on the 9th of December. And then we've got Truths Be Told, 
which will get released on the 6th of January. And then four weeks after that, I will release the box set. And after that, it's a big question mark. You know, do I re-release the Don't Tell Meg trilogy? What happens next? Not quite sure. Uh, all, all to be confirmed. So that's that's life as far as editing and writing are concerned. Just carrying on, carrying on really as forever. So um, rapid release updates then. So uh, I wasn't writing last weekend. As I've already said, that was gratuitous because I wanted to make sure that I got 50,000 words done during NaNoWriMo. That freed up a little bit of time. And that was very useful time because it allowed me just to go through my plan for truth be told, and just to sharpen it up a little. And in actual fact, the present day timeline was was shipshape. It was all done. All I needed to do uh, was to tidy up the, the retrospectives. So I've split the book into two parts. So we go back to 1984, which is the year that the events of Left for Dead take place. So you see what's going on against the backdrop of the first book. And then we, we scoot forward to... 2006, I think it is off the top of my head. Um, and, and we just see some other things that are going on. And then, of course, we're also in the present day. So it just brings all the storylines together. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's going fine now, but I did actually, it was very useful last weekend because I did just need to sort those, um, 1984 and 2006 storylines. I've really done the barest bones of them. And when I work back through them, that's really solid plot sequence now that you um the people who get killed in book two you, you never really get to know them you don't know anything about them their motivations you don't know whether they're good or they're bad and pretty well over 84 1984 and, and 2006 you get to hear their stories to work out what kind of men they were and to find out why they they ended up dead in circle of lies in book two you also find out how that all feeds into book one how the whole thing's connected and why it involves my protagonists and as the the facts come together across the years we then build to the crescendo of book three when everything will resolve and all those timelines will neatly stitch together that's the theory at least so um, next week's, as I've said, the box set on Monday is the female protagonist box set. So that box set is made up of the book that was released on Monday, which is Friends Who Lie. It's also got, uh, what are the books called? The two other ones with female protagonists in. Uh, one is Two Years After, and the other one is No More Lies. That's right. So that's those are the, that's the box set. And so that'll just go out. So I, hadn't, I haven't actually scheduled any promos on it at the moment. I'm just waiting to see from Adam Nichols what my income from Navy Seaher is um, for, for October. And then I can uh, just check my advertising budget and make sure that I'm you know staying in profit all the way through this. Incidentally, I am going to give you some numbers today. I'm going to give you the, I'm going to let you know how many books I've actually sold over the past two months, which I think will be quite useful information for you. So I've put Truth Be Told on pre-sale because um, I, I, uh, you, you can actually now, if you if you put something on pre-sale with Amazon, you can actually change the date if you want to. In, in the old days, in the old days, you know, a couple of months ago, I think it was, I'm not sure where they changed this. But in the old days, if you put a book on pre-order and you didn't make that release date, uh, you stood to be punished for the year. They, they would actually d- deny you a pre pre-release um you know for a year um but i think you i think they'll let you change the date once now if i remember rightly but i've always i've i think i've always made the dates i may have missed one only because i made an error i think the error was and it's i think it's an error pretty well everybody makes first time is that you put the book on pre-release safe you know mine are on mondays but what you don't realize first time round unless you read all the print which i never do that it's actually got to be ready for about four days beforehand. So at the moment, all my books have been released on a Monday, but I have to submit my final file on a Thursday, on the Thursday before. And I think that might have caught me out the first time I did it. And they they gave me mercy, they showed mercy, and they let me off. So it, there was always, um, you know, a bit of wiggle room. Got the phrase right this week, a bit of wiggle room and uh, to get out of that. So I decided that because truth be told, it's it's on a certain course now. Um, I, I know it's going to get written. I've got the story and I'm confident enough, obviously, then to put it on pre-sale. Uh, it makes more sense for me because it's a trilogy for people to know you don't want to buy part one of a trilogy if parts two and three aren't ready. It doesn't make any sense. It's frustrating as a reader. So it made sense to me to put all the books at the minute they're available the minute I'm sure they're gonna I'm gonna hit that deadline to put them on pre-sale and I know that with truth be told now so I put it on pre-sale let me just have a look at my reports 
Uh, I should have had a look at this before we chatted. Yeah, you see, so I'm making sales now. At the moment, we've got uh, 37 pre-sales on Left for Dead, 13 pre-sales on a Circle of Lies, and we've got our first pre-sale in on Truth Be Told. So it makes every sense when you've got a series like that, even though Truth Be Told isn't getting released until January, it makes every sense in the world to have that available on pre-sale. With that book now on pre-sale, it means that I've got all the, the links that I need to promote those books. So what I also did at the weekend, and I say I was really quite grateful for that that non-writing day because I really made it work for me. I've gone through all of my vellum files now and I've updated my also buy pages. So every page that I have, every book that I have now in thrillers now cross promotes every single thriller that I've got right up to the final book I'm writing for now until I review my plans, which is truth be told. So again, that makes perfect sense. As I'm selling books, I'm cross-promoting all my other books, even though three of those aren't even available yet. But that, from a sales point of view, that makes a lot of sense. I had a pretty depressing experience this week. Um, I haven't got a lot of reviews. And um, actually, I'll, I'll talk about this. When I do my my sort of big rapid release review session, which is coming up in two weeks' time on the 16th of November. I'll talk more about this, but I'm not, although I'm, as you'll hear in a moment, I, I've shifted a lot of books. Still not really getting the reviews um, through the process, which is always very frustrating. Um, but I, I had that depressing experience of getting a fairly scathing one star review on two years after this week. And it's so demoralizing when, when you've, when you've just got a handful of reviews and you're scratching around just to get those first reviews. I, I do find, and again, I suppose you get better at this, you get more experience at this over time, that my reviews tend to veer to about four stars. It, it, certainly when you look at the rows of stars, they tend to, they tend to balance at about four stars. Um, that's when I've got a, a lot of reviews, so enough, enough for it to, to even out. So it's really frustrating though, when, you know, the first one in, the first, reviewer to put their head above the parapet is somebody who hated the book and they write a scathing review and give it a one or a two or a three star and that you know that's how you're starting and you, you just can't help but think well you know thank you very much for that thank you that was very very helpful uh and when you've got a bit more resilience you know you can weather the storm of things like that but you can't weather the storm when you've just got a handful of reviews on a book so that's very frustrating so thank you very much to that person for putting a one star review on um, I still don't, well, I'm not going to go into reviewers. I, I'm not, I'm not going to have a rant about reviewers. I still, I still don't know, know what motivates someone to say, I'm going to be the first review and it's going to be a rubbish review. I, I just, I don't know. I can't, I'd love to know the psychology of that. Um, so there you go. Anyhow, whatever. Let's move on from that. But it was fairly depressing, I have to say, to, to see that in there. Okay, let's go on to the number of book sales in October and September. Now, I can't give you the book sales uh, with now you see her included because that's Adam's information and you know it'd be confidential. And I can't even give you an indication because I was I dropped him a note to say can I have those numbers and uh, I haven't got them yet. So I, I can't even give you a rough indication. But let me tell you the number of sales that I made in October and September. Now these are sales. They're not freebies. So every one of these was a paid for book. So in September, and remember, I didn't start my launches until the 9th of September. So we weren't a whole month. In September, I sold 1,375 books. Now, if you include the free titles in September, I moved 15,974 copies. So obviously that was the book bub month. So a 14 thousand, thirteen and a half thousand, something like that, whatever it, whatever that goes to. What is it? Fourteen, about fourteen and a half thousand, something like that. Fourteen and a half thousand freebies, one thousand three hundred and seventy-five sales. So those that's those are books that I took money on. Usually ninety-nine pence or cents, but not exclusively. And in October I made uh, one thousand nine hundred and forty sales. Uh, so that's what those are you know, books I took money on income, mostly 99 pence or cents, but not exclusively. There are other prices in there as well. Um, and, and this is just thrillers, by the way. And also uh, 2000 with, with the freeze involved, so much fewer free books, because I'm not really giving any free books away. I'm trying to think where those free books came from. Where, where would they have come from? Because I don't have any free promos at the moment. There must have been some overlap 
that must be some overlap from the from the bookbub promo because I haven't got anything free at the moment. I don't think I've got anything free. I'm sure I haven't. So um, that's uh, 2,204, including free books. So I don't know how many Now You See Hers uh, you would add to that. Um, I, I just I can't give you the numbers at all because I didn't ask Adam for the for the sheer sales numbers. I just asked for the income last month. Um, but I, I think you fairly confidently say that in October that will be uh, should be fairly comfortably over two thousand sales. So um, you know that for me, um, as you know, I've always done a lot of free. I know how to move books free. So the the fourteen and a half thousand from a, a book bub doesn't uh, you know hugely excite me. But the, the sales are, you know, the good numbers and the sales are still coming in steady on books two and three of the Don't Tell Meg trilogy. So when I look at my best sellers, my best sellers are usually the last two weeks newest book releases in rapid release. And they've been constantly the books in the Don't Tell Meg trilogy. So I am selling a range of books there. And also this number felt fairly low to me. Um, my page reads over September and October, my page reads are 381,366 pages. That feels fairly low to me. Uh, I seem to recall the first time I did a book bub, I had something like half a million, over half a million page reads over a month, uh, for that first, for that first book bub. So that feels quite low to me on page reads. Um, but I, I just thought that might give you an indication of the sorts of numbers of books that I'm shifting. Now, remember, those are largely 99 pence or cents books, which is why I've said to you, you know, the income's all right this month, but it's not, it's not brilliant. Um, but I, what I did decide to do, having told you that was to think, okay, so I know the income's lower than I'd like it because the books are all 99 pence because we're playing the algorithm game. We're trying to shift units. Um, we're not shifting them free. We want to shift them paid, but we're shifting them paid at the lowest amount I can price them at. Um, so I did, I did think, well, okay, let's have a look at how many units we're selling there. Now I can tell you, I wouldn't normally be selling as many units as that. So I don't know whether that's good, bad or indifferent, but for me, it, you know, it looks okay. But back to the rapid release, that's just normal. That's just something exceptional going on there. Um, you know, it's, that's not, Amazon's algorithms aren't working on overdrive. That's just chug, 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 as far as I'm concerned. So still, what week are we in now? It is week eight. This is week eight. No change. You know, chug, chug, chug. That's all. No change, uh, for, for, for the re-release. So. Who knows? Anyhow, I'll be doing a summary for you on rapid re release or rapid release in two weeks time and I'll bring everything together here. Okay, let's move on to general news. There is quite a lot of general news this week and um, exceptionally this week, I've got a lot of web links I want to share with you, which are either important or extremely informative and interesting. But we'll start with the sci-fi trilogy books. The the, the sci-fi trilogy books aren't released yet, but they're kind of, they're coming and we'll talk about why the delays there later when I when we release them and I talk to John and James about them uh, or I talk to John about them because we'll we'll do an interview when we release them and we'll go into the detail there but uh, John contacted me at the weekend and again this is another reason why I was pleased I wasn't writing because he asked uh, me for an author bio and some book notes because obviously the the, the files are all going into vellum now ready for release and um, so I banged out an author bio which was a science fiction uh, bio um, I sort of started, I was just going to cut and paste my bio from Amazon, but actually I thought I could do way better than this, bearing in mind, well, I hope this is going to go to a decent sized audience. So I, I wrote an author bio talking about all my TV science fiction influences and my comics, the comics I used to get my sci-fi influences from and movies I like. So I did a bespoke one for, for John and James for their sci-fi books. And also I did some book notes. Now, because I, I mean, I wrote these, you know how many books I've written this year. I'm a third of the way through my eighth. Um, if you think I can remember what the heck happened in those sci-fi books I wrote in between January and March, <laughs> then you're very much deluded. I can barely remember the, you know, the main plot themes. I certainly can't even remember the names. So, um, you know, those books feel a million miles away to me now since I handed them over. But I also know that John and James wrote a bridging book from the air universe to my universe, which was released a couple of weeks ago. And, um, and so they've had to change some names and some of the details in my books to make it match their universe. So um, I said to 
to John when he asked for the book notes. Look, I'll, I'll send you some generic book notes for this and, you know, say what the influences are and, you know, just a couple of general uh, bits of information about them. But I can't write detailed book notes because I, I'm going to need to read my own books again before I, I sort of write any more in that series uh, or before I write detailed author notes because names might have changed, details might have changed. I think even the name of the spaceship might have changed. So, um, you know, I, I can't write those at the moment. But anyhow, I knock those out on Sunday. They've gone off. They'll be in the Vellum files and we could all get on with our lives. Uh, but I can't give you a release date just yet. Um, and we will let you know what's been going on with that. When they're released, I'll give you a kind of full update with what's going on with those books. Okay, uh, BookBub. I had a BookBub. I, it was time to submit the Grid 1 to BookBub. Now, if you remember, I have had a BookBub on the Grid 1 and I've been submitting it at monthly intervals. And I think this was either the third or the fourth. Um, but... Drum roll, please. And it's always exciting when you have a book bub. I got a knockback again. Uh, so it's just a straight knockback. So whatever, you know, we just go back and we submit it again. So the, the minute I get a knockback, I work out the date of the email. I count on a month, you know, 28 days or four weeks from that date. And that's when they get the next submission. So uh, that has gone into the diary and I will be submitting that once again. I can't remember where it is, but it's on the diary already. Yeah, it's going to go on the 29th, Friday the 29th of November. I will be submitting that for another book. But we just keep going and going and going until they say yes or until we get fed up. Okay, let's move on to some of these web links then. And um, it's just been a funny old week, really. I just keep spotting stuff that's been really useful and I want to share it with you because I'm sure it will be useful to you as well. And uh, although I'm just going to give you a, a rough overview of what these things are about, I will put the direct web links on the show notes for this week. So if you head for episode 177 on the show notes, you'll find all the direct web links to what I'm talking about here. And, uh, you know, it'll just help you um, find them straight away and just get straight to the heart of the matter. So the first web link is about author income. This is brilliant. Now, where did I hear this? I heard this on Selma Book Show as well this week. And I, I would basically recommend you read the article. That's my recommendation. But the article was from Written Word Media. And off the top of my head, they're the people who do bargain books in free booksy. They also have a blog, which is very good. And the article was called How to Make a Living from Your Writing. And in very simple terms, uh, this is a proper sort of survey of authors who, and it's a reasonable sample size as well. So it's not like, you know, I asked three of my mates and here's the survey results. It's a proper survey. Uh, of authors making different ranges of income. And they've asked all sorts of questions to find out effectively what's the path to success? What do successful authors do? What are the things that they have in common? There are all sorts of things there that you would expect, but it tells you how much successful authors pay for an edit, how much they pay for a book cover, how many books they typically have to reach certain income amounts. It's absolutely fascinating. Um, and it's a really good benchmark if you want. If you want to know, you know, how you're doing and, you know, why aren't I a millionaire from my one book? It'll just help you to benchmark and set your expectations in terms of what you need to be spending, what you need to be doing if you want to be a successful writer. It's absolutely um, fascinating read. So that's uh, author income, how to make a living from your writing. I'll put the link to that on this week's show notes. Now, I was listening to Dan Wilcox's podcast the other week. And who was he talking to? I can't remember who his guest was. But his guest, uh, oh, it's Rachel Heron, I think. And she was talking about, they were talking about an episode on The Right as well, uh, which is another podcast I enjoy as well. And um, they were talking about an episode, episode 144 of The Right as Well podcast, when they were discussing, is it worth it? And I, when I heard that title, I thought, well, I've got to listen to that one. So I actually, sorry, Dan, I, I switched off halfway through the podcast, went straight to that episode because I hadn't listened to it yet. It was in my queue and thought, right, I'll need to listen to that. And it was basically, you know, is it worth it? And you've got to listen to this. If you're if you're sort of bootstrapping your business, if you're doing what I've done, which is, you know, I've said to you before, frankly, if I just worked five days a week, I'd be a lot richer and, um, you know, and for, forgot any aspirations to be an author. It'd be a lot easier for me to just go back to work five days a week and forget writing. My life would have been a lot simpler. But I stayed at the BBC, it would have been a lot simpler. Uh, but would I have enjoyed it as much? No, I wouldn't. And, uh, you know, my, my point always is, is that it feeds the soul. What what we do feeds the soul. It might make life a little bit scary sometimes. You know, I can remember I used to have panic attacks when I left the BBC and came off salary for the first time. Um, I had panic attacks. But now, 10 years on, I'm just a lot more confident of being able to make money if I need to. Um, I, I have all sorts of things on that I can ramp up or ramp down. 
Um, I know how to make money now. I, you know, I know how to make money out of thin air, uh, so to speak. Um, so and, I, and you get more confidence of that. But I was terrified when I left my job the first time. I was really petrified. Um, I used to have, you know, wake up and have hot sweats. But I think, I mean, I've been doing this for 10 years now. And I just think you get more confidence in your ability to, to bring, to bring money in. Um, so, you know, that, that's kind of how I feel about it. But they, they, and this is what, um, Rachel and, and Jay Thorne were, were talking about. It was, they were saying exactly the same thing. Frankly, if I went back to my day job, life would be a lot simpler. I'd have a lot of my money. I'd have all that security. And I tell you something that I, you know, if you live in the UK, we've got to be so grateful for our national health service. Um, when I hear the guys from, um, what the, the self-publishing podcast or whatever it's called these days, Sterling and Stone, Johnny, Dave and Sean, when I hear them talking and to hear Jay Thorne and, and, and Rachel uh, speaking, of course, they have to pay for health insurance and the figures, the numbers that they quote for that are phenomenal. If you live in the UK and you get this as, you know, as part of the National Health Service, the, the numbers are eye-watering. Um, and, and I'm amazed that anybody ever dare leave a job because, of course, they, they get this. They were saying that if they went to work, I think it was Starbucks was the example. If you go to work for Starbucks, I think you get your health insurance. Now, I'm not an expert in the States, but I think that's what they were saying. But, you know, the, the effect of what I'm saying is right, is that you could work in a fairly um, basic job and get your health care taken care of in the States. Um, and that's worth a fortune. But the numbers that Rachel was saying for her health care, she was talking about one and a half thousand dollars a month. Now, that is a scary prospect to give up not only a salary, but to give up, um, you know, your health care and to have to find the money to pay for that. That's genuinely scary. So we don't know how lucky we have it in the UK. Um, again, if you're listening in the US or elsewhere in the world, we don't have a national health service. We, we pay for this. It's part of our it's part of our cover. And we moan. We used to get things like eye tests for free. Though you could you, you could usually get an eye test for free. Still, they usually give you vouchers for it because they know that if you have an eye test, you're going to buy the glasses with them and that's where they make the profit. So although in theory you're supposed to pay for an eye test, most of us get them for free through vouchers. Um, and um, dentists. So I've had to go private with a dentist. But just to give you an example, I think I pay £60 a month um, for our dental care. And that's me, my wife, and two of my kids. One of my kids uh, is still covered by the, the National Health Service, all free still. So I pay, you know, just to give you an idea, what's that, £600 a year? A year, you know, compared to one and a half thousand dollars a month. Um, and we moan about that. Um, I could still get an NHS dentist, though where I live, it's actually very hard. The reason we ended up going with a private one was not sort of through choice. I'm actually sort of passionate about the NHS, but there were actually no NHS dentists available where I live at the time, which is why we all had to go on these private um, systems. And actually, um, we, soon after we got it, and I was, you know, mumbling and groaning about having to pay for it. Yeah, I think, I think if you're with the NHS now, um, by the time, I think you have to pay for checkups. I haven't been on NHS for quite a long time now because of this, but I think you have to pay f- virtually for everything anyway. Um, now, when we were in Spain one year, uh, I think we, we were at the airport flying out and a bit came off one of my, the, my, I was going to say one of my wife's teeth. What I mean is, what are the teeth of my wife? It sounds like I've got multiple wives. How do I express that? The teeth belonging to my wife <laughs> that are in her mouth. Something came off one of those teeth. Anyway, I, I can't think how to express that. Um, I've been writing. It's been a long day. And so um, through this private uh, dental insurance that we've got, which is not hugely expensive, um, we got a British dentist in, was it Benidorm, wherever we were? We might have been... We might have been, I don't think we might have been somewhere else that year. I don't think it was Benidorm. It was somewhere else. And, um, it was Portugal, I think that year. And she found a British dentist, got the work done. It was all paid for as part of that. And that was about 200, 300 quids worth of work. And I remember when that happened, I said, do you know what? I'm going to stop moaning now because we've just made that money. You know, five years worth of that premium we just made on that treatment alone. So, um, anyhow, I, I digress, but, uh, the moral of it is we have a great health service in the UK. And uh, with, uh, you know, steering clear of politics, uh, because it's very hot potato in the UK at the moment, we need to fight to protect that because, you know, listen to our friends in the US and elsewhere in the world. We have something very precious in the UK and something to cherish, I think. So back to the podcast. Is it worth it? Both of them agreed. No, not really. But we're doing it anyway because it feeds the soul. And, And that's it. It would have been far easier for me to, you know, have the stress of working at the BBC 
Um, you know, and I look at my colleagues now, they all look older than I do, uh, from the stress probably. Um, you know, because when you're a certain age, frankly, you can do without it, I think. Um, and I, I certainly felt ready to be done with it, you know, in my years of management. And I've never looked back. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, a career at the BBC, it was a fantastic career, but I've never looked back and thought, oh, I wish I was back at the BBC again. I just, I just never have. However, however tough times have got, uh, and they have been a bit hairy sometimes. Um, I, I've never, I've never thought, let's go back. I never thought that. I always thought, let's go forward. And, um, that's pretty well the conclusion they come to. So, you know, if you are in that position where you're either thinking of giving up a job or if you're struggling and thinking, is this worth it? Is this worth it? You know, I think that we're all seeking a prize and there is nothing quite like it on earth. And it's a prize that you will never experience being employed by somebody else. It's a, a, a joy. And I, you know, I can tell you that my number one value, um, of, of having sort of left the BBC and, and never have, I, I mean, I haven't worked full time for, 10 years now might even be 12 I haven't worked full-time for years and I've got to tell you you know that that made the world of difference to my life uh even working part-time even when I went down to four days a week that one day makes a huge difference to your life uh and working for yourself as I say n- nourishes the soul in the way that a job never did it is scary but is it worth it my answer is a resounding yes and in spite of everything uh, uh, you know, all because there are many negatives and there are many tough times. Both Jay Thorne and Rachel said, well, plot spoiler, you know, yes, it is. And we wouldn't do anything else. So it's well worth a listen to the episode. Very strong episode, I thought. Um, also, um, Amazon has clarified. I think that's the right word to use. They've clarified their affiliate policy. And it's basically talking about, um, what is it? All the, the, the rules in the states and all the things we have to abide by. And it is clarifying their policy. So I've put the, um, Amazon affiliate policy update on the show notes. And then because that's a bit more technical, I was really grateful then to get an explainer from Genius Link. And they've done a, um, a, you know, an overview article explaining what that, that Amazon article means. And it's just talking through what your obligations are as an Amazon affiliate. So a lot of us know that if you, you uh, when you use Amazon affiliate links, there are very strict rules about whether you put them in emails, whether you put them on third party sites, but you can put them on your own websites. And uh, uh, this is, I haven't read this policy in, in detail yet, but this is what this policy update refers to. And in theory, you know, you can get into trouble if um, you're using your affiliate links incorrectly. So you need to know about this. You know, don't make a mess because you don't want to get into trouble with Amazon, not if you're making all your book sales through Amazon. So uh, again, I haven't had time to read them in detail yet, um, but I've. this is why I've clocked those links and I will share those links with you on the show notes for episode 177. Again, I recommend that you read it. It's really good stuff. And I've put them on the show notes to save you from having to hunt for those. A very pivotal moment this week, um, and it's not really related to being an author, but I uninstalled Dreamweaver from my computer this week. Now my computer is, is nearly full up and we're getting in the zone where I might have to think about getting a new tower. Um, I've, I've, you know, it's a few years old, this computer now, but all, all the rest of the bits, the screens and everything are fine. But I might think about getting a new tower and donating that tower to one of my kids, uh, shortly. We're, we're kind of in that zone. Um, because I could fry just like loads of extra storage and the storage has gone up since I bought that. Uh, and I'm constantly, you know, when you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, I'm moving stuff off, I'm backing it in the cloud, I'm putting it onto hard drives, and I'm just thinking, you know, might just be new time to get a new computer. It's uh, four or five years old now. It'll be faster, you know, more nimble, more bells and whistles. So I'm kind of in that zone. But um, I needed to free up a bit of space, and I uninstalled Dreamweaver today. And the reason I uninstalled Dreamweaver is when I started on the web in 2001, I, I, I trained to use Dreamweaver at the BBC, and that's how you pretty well made cutting-edge websites in those days. But by the year 2008, 2009, I was using content management systems, and in those days, I was looking at Drupal, Moodle, uh, WordPress, which was in its early format, and one other, Mambo, it was called. Uh, oh, and Joomla, and Joomla. So there were five kind of options that you were looking at if you wanted a content management system. But by 2008, 2009, as far as I was concerned, it was WordPress, and WordPress has uh, deserved that dominance ever since. And 
um, on WordPress, most of the time you just use it out of the box, but every now and then I, you need to get into the code just to solve a little bit of a problem, usually with alignment or something fancy you want to do. Because I can code, I, I go into the code view and do a little bit of coding. And I used to keep Dreamweaver on my PC just so I could have a, a file that I could uh, preview the HTML in. And um, I haven't used Dreamweaver for ages. And, uh, you know, I just, if I do coding now, it's very, very simple coding. And it's, you know, it's stuff you can remember off the top of your head most of the time. So I decided to uninstall Dreamweaver. I haven't used it in ages. And um, I just thought I'd mark that moment because it's almost like the point at which, do you remember the point at which you sold or got rid of or donated to charity your last VHS videos? Um, because you've moved into DVD and there's no point in having a video recorder anymore. It's not that long ago for, for most of us. Some of you might still be hanging on to your videos, but it was, it felt like that moment. It felt like, yep, yeah, out go the VHS videos. I'm now moving on to DVD. So of course, you know, DVDs are out now. Um, it's not an awful lot of point owning a DVD. You might as well just download it, you know, or rent it or, or buy it through. Uh, you know, Amazon or Netflix nowadays, there's very little point owning anything these days. You might as well just pay for the borrow these days. So, yep, Dreamweaver has gone. I'm still hanging on to Photoshop, but there's not an awful lot of point having Photoshop even there. I mean, I, again, I've pretty well exclusively moved into Canva, even though I could use Photoshop. I just, Canva just helps me do everything at bulk now. So it just shows you how times have changed. It's very, very pivotal now. We don't really need softwares now. There are online services that do these things just as well. Got a very interesting uh, Twitter uh, message from Dan Sewell this week. And actually, Dan's going to feature twice because he also sent me an autumnal photo. But let me just go into this um, note first. Um, Dan just dropped me a note to say, I wanted to say thanks for the book doggy recommendation. I tried it this week for a free book promo. And I haven't tried it for a free book promo. Um, and Dan tried it on a short story collection, uh, which is called In Tooth and Claw, which is in the horror genre. So Dan said that typically I get an average of 15 downloads per day on Amazon and one on Apple, largely driven by story origin co-promotions. The Book Doggy promotion ran on 29th of October and cost $18, so it's very low cost. Now, this is a great thing. I'm really, really pleased to hear this. The book got, wait for it, 409 downloads on the 29th, 409 and 59 on the 30th of October, that was for Amazon. Now on Apple, it received 13 downloads and Dan says he hasn't got any further data from Published Drive yet. So uh, 481 downloads over the two days, that's for up from an average of 15 to 16 downloads per day or 30 downloads over the two days. So Dan says it works out at 3.8 cents per copy downloaded on the $18 uh, ad spent. Please you did the maths for me there, Dan. Um, so the book also made number one in its UK Amazon store category and number three in the US. Now, again, um, you know, you, you keep checking this and it might have got to number one and you blink and you missed it because it happened so quickly. But that's the one that Dan spotted. It was number three in the US. So Dan said, I'm very pleased with the response to that ad. And it'll be very interesting to see what happens with a 99 cent book deal to see how book deal to see how that affects the downloads. So um, that's great data, Dan. Thank you very much for sharing that. And very interesting to hear how well Book Doggy is doing. So I haven't used Book Doggy for free yet, but I'm sure I was going to. Now you've told me that. I mean, I would say that for $18, that number of downloads is fantastic. And um, again, if you're using all the good marketing tricks, so I told you right at the beginning of this podcast that I'd just gone through my front and back matter. And at the front and back of my book, I cross promote every single other you know thriller or sci-fi book that I've written. So you've got to think of this as driving traffic. So what Dan did there very cheaply was drive traffic to a free book. Now, within that free book, obviously some people are just going to load it up and never read it. Obviously, you know, enough people, uh, you know, got it to get you a chart position. So you could use that for advertising, for, for position, positioning. You can say it is a number one bestseller if you want to, because it is. That's what Amazon says. You'll get a screenshot that says it's a bestseller. That's how Amazon describes it. So you can claim that number one spot, that glory. You can use it for promo purposes. Um, but also, and again, you, you kind of have to have more books to do this. It's driving traffic. So you need to use that opportunity to send people either to your website, to your mailing list and to your other books or do all three if you can. But the, don't just send them the book. Make sure you use the, the cross promo 
opportunities there as well. But that's a great result, Dan. And thank you very much for sharing that. And uh, you know, I like Book Doggy. Now, um, I haven't been tracking my results. I can tell you that um, you, you always get better results for free. Um, you know, you always get, you always get a shared load of downloads for free. Well, I, I say you always get a shared load. You've got to you've got to meet the prerequisites. It's got to be a book that people want to download it's got to have a decent cover on it a decent uh, blurb you know it has to meet all those basic prerequisites but given that you've got those in place as, as dan has shown you'll get a load of downloads and uh, you know that's true with free books and all the other sites as well it's harder when you start to charge you know even at 99 pence or cents there's more friction there um but um i'll be interested to hear how you get on when you do a 99 pence or cents promo down but thanks ever so much for sharing that uh that data with us that's that's really really sort of quality data so last week i was apologizing for mangling names and i'd done my or had made my best shot at pronouncing amelia levillain's name um and i was delighted to hear or to get a message from amelia to say yes my last name is is french so it did it didn't look like it was french but i wasn't sure and i did get it right so uh, Amelia has reassured me by saying I had to practice the pronunciation of my new last name. And quite often there's a super long and awkward pause before I say it. So that thank you. That really reassures me. When I'm having trouble, I like to remember it as Le Villain. Le Villain. So uh, I did get that French pronunciation right. And I'm delighted to hear that. I don't like mangling names. And, and I was explaining to Amelia that would you believe with a, a surname like Teague, all my life people have mangled that name. And to me, I mean, of course, you don't know what you don't know, do you? But to me, I look at it, I look at Teague and I say, well, surely logically, it's Teague like League. It looks like League. So it's Teague, presumably. But no, that's not the case. And people all my life, less so nowadays, I think that the world is more sort of, you know, global. Now. I think we're, we're more used to non-conventional names now. I think we're sort of better at them. We're, we've had more exposure to them. But certainly when I was younger, I would constantly get Paul Tiagway. Tiagway. I mean, what would make you, what would possess you? (laughs) It's like saying, you know, we're in the football Liagway. What would possess you to pronounce it that way? But anyhow, believe it or not, constantly Tiagway. That's how people say the name. Now, interestingly, I believe it's an Irish name. And the Irish, I think you'll find, pronounce it as Teague. Teague. So I think that is a correct. So Teague is probably incorrect. Tag is the Irish, which is I think, which I think is correct. I'm no expert on all of this stuff, um, uh, but Teague is, is how we say it. And Tiagway, frankly, is bizarre. I don't know what would make somebody say, you know, Teague or Tiagway. I'm going for Tiagway uh, because no word on earth that has e a g u e is pronounced like that, is it? Not that I'm aware of. Um, so you have my greatest sympathies if I, you know, if I mangle your name. My intention always is to try and get it right. I do think we're getting better at it. You know, as we get exposed to more global names, we get better at it. Um, but, you know, sometimes living in the West, it, it can be quite sort of hard. We don't do a good job of pronouncing uh, surnames with which we're not familiar. So anyhow, I got one right. So I'm very happy with that. So um, thank you very much for your your tweets this week. So back to uh, Dan Sewell, who um, sent a picture of his uh, dogs, a dog and cat, actually, a uh, picture of a dog crashed out and a cat, actually, they both crashed out on the sofa. And uh, Dan just uh, tweeted me to say, just put in for my first doggy, pr- uh, first book doggy promo for my first uh, free book on Amazon. Looking forward to the next podcast episode. No fun travel this week, just around Northern Ireland. But I've got a cute animal photo instead. This is Jesse the dog and Cassie the cat, who are genuinely the best of friends. And that really is, you know, quite a very sociable photograph. My sister has, uh, uh, I say, a new dog, a recent dog, and the cat had been there beforehand. It's very, very funny. Actually, I think for the first time, she posted a photo on social media the other day of the cat and the dog in the same room. But talk about a wary cat when the when the dog came. And my sister says, very, very funny watching the cat uh, take roots around the dog. But they seem to be happier with each other now. And looking at Jesse and Cassie, you can see that's already a, a friendly relationship in that photograph. Also got a tweet. Oh, this is from Japan. And it's a very nice view. And I'm gonna, I hope I'm not going to get the name incorrect again. It looks French to me. This is a tweet from Essie Bouvier. Bouvier, I think that is. And um, SE, I'm not sure what the SE stands for, um, but she says, Paul, listening to the new episode while doing my Sunday night ironing, 
Uh, I'm planning on going to the SPF live event as well as the London Book Fair if work allows it. Also looking forward to meeting you there. I'm in Japan. Here's a view from my balcony. This is a lovely kind of, you know, city, cityscape view from the balcony. And it's Japan, which makes it even more exciting. But I tell you what, I, what did make me laugh about this is that, you know, here I am saying, oh, it's Japan and it's exciting. And look at that. It's a foreign country. But the gritty reality is you still got to do your ironing on a Sunday night. <laughs> Wherever you are in the world, the ironing still has to be done. So thank you very much for tweeting me. I look very much forward to meeting you at SPF Live. Tim's been in the woods again, listening to my show in the forest. And that's what we like, Tim. A lovely picture there of, uh, you know, a lovely view uh, from, from Woodland. Uh, incidentally, on my Twitter feed at Paul T UK, I've been posting some pictures this week and I posted my own autumnal shot. We were in Newcastle, uh, was it Wednesday evening and yesterday, all day yesterday on Thursday. Sort of beautiful church, beautiful autumn leaves. And that's my autumn picture, which I posted. I'll put that on the resources page as well. And then finally, uh, Dan Sewell, who's been working overtime this week. Thanks very much, Dan. Uh, Dan has also uh, sent me a picture, uh, attached a uh, picture of uh, autumnal pictures uh, with a horror vibe. Um, Dan was teaching up in Derry in Northern Ireland at the University of Ulster. And he sent me the autumnal view from the seminar room over the foil. It was beautiful. And um, also sent me a picture of some mushrooms, which he spotted while walking into the car park. So it really is that time of year, isn't it, at the moment? And um, we were in a museum in Newcastle, my wife and I, having a spot of lunch yesterday. And uh, we were watching, can you tell we're ready for grandchildren? We were watching two toddlers playing with um, lovely sort of autumn leaves at their I've forgotten what they're called, high chairs. Shows how long since my kids were tiny. They were both sitting in high chairs and waving these autumn leaves around. It was very entertaining to watch these uh, toddlers in the museum yesterday. And incidentally, if you can ever get to Newcastle, I've forgotten the name of the museum already, but there's a brilliant dinosaur. It's a real dinosaur skeleton in there. And I could have watched this thing and just looked at this thing for half an hour. I mean, you know, I've been to the Natural History Museum in London, but this museum in Newcastle was fantastic. And that dinosaur skull was absolutely amazing. I also saw loads of plants that look like real plants that look like they come from Star Trek. It was fantastic. So we got a few photos of those as well. And I'm sure that would inspire some science fiction at one point or another. Okay, that is it for this week's diary. Thank you very much for listening. I think I managed to get the title of Truth Be Told right all the way through. So that has to be a first. Thanks for listening. I'll be back again next Saturday with more author news. Have a great week of writing. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye for now. Thanks for listening to Paul's Podcast Diary. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed to hear next week's update and find out how many words get produced over the next seven days. Until then, we hope you have a great week of writing.